that's a supply chain, digital supply chain attack against a company that provides service to a large portion of the Fortune 500, many US and other government agencies, and has a sophisticated nation state threat actor that sits behind that attack. Well, we are well into 2021 now, and here in the UK, winter is most definitely upon us. But having spoken to many of you around the world in the last couple of weeks, it does look like hope is in sight, and if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, a lot warmer too. And congratulations to those of you in Israel. Not only are you great at innovation, it looks like you've proved the most efficient at getting your vaccine out. Well done. Matthew Grant here, host of the London podcast, back in the hot seat this week with Pascal Millier, who returns after I interviewed him for episode 28 back in May 2019, and still well worth a listen, by the way. Now, cyber may not have been making the headlines quite so much in the last few months, well, apart from the recent SolarWinds attack, I'm going to be talking about that shortly, but the risk is growing, both affirmative, that's where cyber is an explicit cover and where losses are triggered by a cyber event, but also in other classes of business where it's not explicitly written into the cover but may impact the losses, something that regulators and rating agencies are paying more attention to. Pascal is about to give us an update on how Cybercube has expanded since we last spoke to him, including successfully rolling out a new product for brokers. We talk at length about how insurers are pricing risk and managing their cyber exposures. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, it's a real pleasure to have you along. Thank you. And if you're one of our old friends, well, of course, we really appreciate your time. Now, here's Pascal. Pascal, it's great to have you back as another guest on the Instat London podcast. It's great to be back. Now, last time we spoke, I don't think you'd really got into, into podcasting at all in the last 18 months, because it was May 2019 when we spoke. Uh, have you been using the time when we've all been locked up to to learn more in an audio way, or has life running Cybercube just been all-consuming? I have indeed started listening to the Instech London podcast since my last interview, and uh, and that's become a part of my pandemic routine. So, uh, so it uh, makes it even even better to be back on the show. You're a quite a keen fitness enthusiast, aren't you? So, what, what's your sort of uh, exercise of choice, whether it's with podcasts or not? I live here in Mill Valley, thirty minutes from San Francisco. Uh, Marin is one of the spiritual homes of mountain biking, and so I find myself uh, out biking up Mount Tam on a regular basis, which has been a nice respite. Well, it's a change for some of our people who are sitting there on on stationary bikes just now, uh, racing away to actually be able to get out onto the mountains and do some cycling for real. Kind of envious of that. Since your first podcast, we've doubled the number of listeners from the first month. So the joy of podcasts is it's a gift that keeps on giving. And it, I listened to it again, and it, it you know, frankly it was excellent. You did give a really good introduction to Cybercube. I recommend anybody listening to that to get the kind of story but yeah, it'd be great to catch up with what's been going on. And actually, just for those that aren't familiar with Cybercube, perhaps you could just give a, a kind of quick reminder of, of what you're doing, and then we'll catch up with what's been happening in the last few months. Sure. So at Cybercube, we believe that cyber risk presents the greatest opportunity that PNC insurers have had in a century or more. So in a world with hundreds of billions of Internet of Things devices, explosion of data, automation of industries, we think that cyber risk will reshape 
uh, risk in economy and society, and therefore the entire PNC insurance industry. But that's going to require a new breed of analytic tools to price that risk, to underwrite it, to model it, and to sell these policies. And tools that have orders of magnitude more data, orders of magnitude more compute, and new interdisciplinary techniques that the insurance industry hasn't used before. And that's where CyberCube comes in. We've established ourselves as the world's leading software as a service analytics provider to the insurance industry. I have gone from strength to strength since the last podcast. Now uh, serve a who's who list of the world's leading insurance institutions. And our goal really is to be that preeminent partner to the PNC insurance industry as cyber risk transforms the future of insurance. It's been really impressive watching what happened. I mean, given that you you kind of came out of stealth mode, I think in 2017, backed by Symantec. And I, you, you can say those words about the leading provider on the basis that you've got a really strong client base. It's always really interesting to see which insurance companies are willing to have their names associated with their providers because, you know, for some of them, if they're testing in the water with a new provider, they're not always keen to be associated with them in case that provider's not around. But you, you've, you've got some tremendous case studies on your, your website of some marquee clients. But I mean, for those who don't know who you're working with, can you talk about a couple of examples of you, sort of the companies that you've got close relationships with? So today, 17 out of the top 30 US cyber insurance carriers use CyberCube's data and analytics to power their cyber insurance growth. Um, and, um, and as a company, we have very much... Uh, focused our efforts on the world's largest and most sophisticated insurance institutions first. Uh, In our minds, if we can serve those institutions, we can serve the thousands of brokerage institutions, the thousands of carriers that long-term will need to engage with cyber risk to be relevant in the 21st century. So folks like the largest reinsurers like Munich Re, the largest carrier, Chubb, the largest reinsurance brokers, Guy Carpenter and Aon, are publicly disclosed clients. We learn as much from uh, from some of those clients as we teach them. Uh, And we're also creating data feedback loops that mean by working with CyberCube, you're able to get access to data and get access to analytics that no ecosystem participant alone can have access to themselves. Yeah, that whole piece around data and and the collaboration with the clients is really, really powerful as well as I guess what you're getting from um, Symantec. Uh, on that topic of data, Pascal, I just want to play you back something you said on our last interview and uh, and see if this is still one of the issues you have or if the industry's moved on. So this is what you said when we spoke back in May 2019. One of my pet peeve topics in this space is when people say that the big problem with cyber insurance is the lack of data. And I I really disagree with that point because I would argue there's actually never been a line of insurance, of PNC insurance, with more data available to it. The, uh, The issue isn't a lack of data, it's just that that data is really hard to come by, really hard to cleanse, really hard to make sense of in a way that someone trying to price this risk, underwrite this risk, or manage cyber aggregation needs to do. So, Pascal, it was obviously a big issue for you uh, a while ago. Have things changed since then? 
I actually think the industry has moved on. I think the industry has recognized that the the issue is often that there's too much data, that there's too much irrelevant data, that there's too much noise within that data. And what they really need is a company that can sift through that noise to find the signal. And then critically, once they find that signal, undertake the QA, the deduplication, the syncing to company names, the abstraction at the right level, and provide the APIs that are needed to consume the data in a way that an actuary, an underwriter, a modeler can use. So as a company, we have screened uh, well over 100 data partners over the course of the last year, added about another dozen uh, to our couple of dozen uh, data partners that we use. Matthew here. I couldn't resist jumping in whilst listening to Pascal. Again, the use of partners to provide data is becoming a really big part of what's happening across many technology providers. And collaboration is really important. Companies like Cybercube are proving to be essential route to market for many companies that have access to this critical data and to provide it on to insurance organizations. In the case of Cybercube, as we heard, they're going to have close to 30 other sources of data by the end of this year. And Pascal explains what this means in practice. As those data partners provide us with, in some cases, terabytes of data per month, we're really able, on behalf of the insurance industry, to sift through it, make it usable, augment that with Cybercube's own proprietary signals, augment that with data feedback loops that we get from the clients that we serve, where we have permission to use that data and really deliver the cyber insurance industry with the right data in the right format that's really usable for the insurance use case. Um, So yeah, so nice to see that actually, I think that pet peeve from 18 months ago, I think has, has really moved on. And now it's really up to our data scientists to continue to, to source that data and make it usable to our clients. Excellent. And of course, in that time period, you know, most of the focus has been on something that none of us contemplated when we talked before with COVID. So you know, with that backdrop, what have you seen changing with regard to you know, awareness of cyber as a risk generally, and then obviously, specifically around COVID-related cyber risk? The emergence of COVID and the pandemic uh, really reflects a, a broad theme in the cyber insurance industry, which is a transition from confidentiality of data and data breach being the primary topic on the minds of enterprises to the availability of data and business interruption, the availability of systems being primary. I think the pandemic has really reinforced that business interruption is an absolutely essential risk for enterprises factory fire, a natural disaster, although still important to the insurance industry, is really being eclipsed by business interruption uh, from both human viruses and computer viruses as being a risk that insurers need to rise to the challenge to focus on. And I guess that whole concept of non-damage business interruption, that's clearly been brought to focus and that must be having an impact on how people are looking at their cyber policies these days. I think that's right. And I also think that the insurance industry, particularly on the cyber side, certainly needs to look at some of the lessons learned from the pandemic around languages, cleaning up languages, 
looking at silent cyber language. Um, but also, I think the insurance industry has a lot to be proud of and really should be singing from the rooftops in terms of what it has done within the cyber specialty line in particular. So if you look at stats like from the Association of British Insurers, claims denial rates are amongst the lowest in commercial insurance when it comes to cyber risk. Cyber insurance policies do pay out. And also when it comes to kind of after, you know, as they pay out, it's more than just writing a check. The value that you get from a cyber insurance policy is access to incident response, access to crisis communication, regulatory engagement, and understanding from an institution that's dealt with hundreds, if not thousands of claims. And so I think the cyber insurance industry has just done a kind of fantastic job creating products creating products that work and creating products that provide far more value than just writing a check. And I think the cyber insurance industry should be kind of marketing that and telling that story uh, in a far more forceful way than it does today. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it, it is leading in its extent on that whole risk management, you reduce the risk, help people manage it. And, and it's, I guess it's a benefit of starting off in a new space. And there's a recognition that, that makes such a big difference. So I know it's really, really good to hear that. And it's a great stat in there as well. And then in terms of cyber losses, I mean, I always say this just like caution because at some point it's going to happen, this large catastrophic cyber loss that it goes across different countries, different companies. We've seen a couple of those in the past with things like WannaCry and NotPetya. But yeah, what about SolarWinds? Is that something that we heard about it? It's gone a bit quiet recently. Is that kind of getting into a catastrophic cyber loss or is it just another kind of warning shot that demonstrates these things can have a big impact or a really big impact if, you know, if it kind of goes further than, than that might have done? Yeah, so, so I think it, it's still too early to say the full extent of, of impact of SolarWinds, but it is a big deal in that it's a supply chain, digital supply chain attack against a company that provides service to a large portion of the Fortune 500, many US and other uh, government agencies, and, um, and has a sophisticated nation state threat actor that sits behind that, uh, that attack. Now, I think the difference for the insurance industry is this was an attack on the confidentiality of data. This is an attack that leads to kind of data loss and when we think about aggregation events and we think about the aggregation events that lead to the very worst industry losses, they're often not confidentiality and data loss events. They're often availability and business interruption events. So there are events like um, malware against an operating system or a cloud outage. So although I think from a cybersecurity perspective, this has been a, a, a very, very important and sophisticated attack and has opened eyes to digital supply chain vulnerabilities and single points of failure, from an insurance perspective, at this point, those business interruption events and availability events typically lead to far greater losses for the industry than, than those that are focused on confidentiality. And then more broadly, just looking out at the other providers and businesses building cyber solutions, yeah, I think sometimes it can be hard for people to distinguish the difference between a modeling company and somebody that's 
selling insurance either an MGA or as a underwriter. Uh, clearly, you are on the modeling side. I mean, but what's your perception of what's happening with some of the larger MGA cyber providers we're hearing about? I mean, it's Coalition, Envelope, RCO, Evolve, Zaguru. In some cases, they're using other modeling tools. In some cases, they are doing the analytics themselves. And you know, that's quite a big part of pricing the risk and giving the buyer confidence. I mean, you generally you're seeing the MGAs are also being able to bring together world-class analytics as part of what they're offering, or is there some sort of risks there that some things are being missed? For me, cyber really presents an opportunity for a golden age of insurance innovation uh, that makes the insurance industry more relevant than it's ever been. And I think these new tech-enabled MGAs are just one example of that innovation. Now, at CyberCube, our model is a little bit different, as you point out. There are hundreds of providers of cyber insurance policies today, including these tech MGAs. And over time, there will be thousands. You, you can't really be a PNC insurer without engaging with internet-connected risk. And so we serve those companies, including even some of the tech-enabled MGAs with their products. And so, you know, so when I look at the market and I look at over a trillion dollars of losses each year due to cyber uh, in the marketplace, economic losses, I think about the tiny fraction of those losses that are insured. I look at an opportunity for new products, new forms of underwriting, new uses of data and automation, new uh, risk mitigation and holistic risk management solutions offered to enterprises. Matthew here. I'm just going to hit pause again there for a moment. Uh, I want to make sure you got all of that. Pascal is talking about six new opportunities around cyber. An opportunity for new products, opportunity for new forms of underwriting, new uses of data and automation, new risk mitigation, and holistic risk management solutions offered to enterprises as companies outside of insurance. Now, don't worry if you didn't get all of that in one go. You can read them in our write-up on the highlights of this podcast, which we provide on the podcast episode page on the Instec London website. Now, back to Pascal. I think we're really just at the very beginning of a renaissance in PNC insurance driven by cyber risk is one of the most important risks that enterprises care about. Now, if you're an incumbent carrier, you don't need to replicate each and everything done by these tech-enabled MGAs. We want to serve the industry in the way that the industry wants to be served, be that a large global incumbent carrier, a new carrier that's entering the market for the first time that wants to pre-package the solution, or an MGA that's comfortable with their underwriting model, but really in order to get reinsurance, needs to understand the cat risk that they're taking on in underwriting cyber insurance policies. I want to come back on a couple of those points in a minute, but something you mentioned in there, a trillion dollars a year of economic loss. What, what does that translate into in insured loss? Because five years ago, Allianz had a report that said in five years' time, there'd be $25 billion of insured premium for cyber. I mean, where are we today? Have we reached that level or are we, you know, is the market either not ready or are maybe the limits are not there or capacity is not there to provide that level of cover? I would deal with this in, in, in two different parts. Uh, the first part to note is a lot of cyber risk actually doesn't reside in a standalone cyber insurance policy. A lot of cyber risk actually resides in directors and officers policy. 
and other business interruption policies and product liability policies. In fact, when we look back at the NotPetya aggregation event, over 90% of the losses from the cyber attack landed on non-cyber insurance policies, typically property business interruption policies. And so I think the first thing to note is when people just look at the affirmative standalone cyber insurance market alone, I think sometimes they're missing the forest from the trees and just seeing how big cyber risk is to virtually all lines of insurance. And that's led to a dramatic cleaning up of the uh, policy language and the introduction of affirmative cyber endorsements, clear exclusions, and, and, and really brighter lines between kind of where cyber, where cyber risk lies in different policies. In terms of the affirmative standalone market, I, I think the you know, prospects here uh, you know, continue to look kind of very, very good. Uh, one of the world's largest um, uh, reinsurers uh, recently came out with, with their uh, kind of prediction of the market kind of tripling uh, over the course of the next five years. And this is a reinsurer that, that has a substantial market share and, and, and sees what's happening in a lot of sedents. And so this just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger in the affirmative standalone market, becomes a bigger and bigger portion of all lines of insurance. And unless we stop connecting the globe to the internet, that's just going to continue. And coming back to your point before we talked about MGAs, one of the things you have been successful with in the last few months is you've started selling to brokers again. You know, great to see the coverage coming out from those. I mean, that is tough, I know, for a technology company to sell to brokers because it's hard for them to be able to pass those costs back on to their clients. Clearly, they're seeing value, therefore, from what they're doing. Can you talk a little bit about you know, what have you built for the brokers and, and how they're using it? In Q2 of 2020, we launched Broking Manager, and we took some of the same analytics used by the world's leading insurers and reinsurers to quantify cyber risk and provided a subset of those analytics to brokers. We have already sold to about a quarter of the top US brokers and fully expect to be at over half of uh, all top 50 brokers uh, by the end of this year. And I think the reason for that is this is just, this product extension really is a slam dunk for the broker, for the enterprise client. Those clients want to know what could happen to them from a cyber perspective how much would it cost? And do they want to insure to that one in 10, one in 50, one in 100 loss? And how does their cyber insurance buying compare to peers? And that's all information that CyberCube is uniquely positioned to provide to brokers and enterprises. And so, uh, and so that, that, that product has just been a huge success for, for CyberCube, and more importantly, a huge success for our broker clients that are using that product. And it makes sense. If you go back to 2013, cyber risk was, according to Allianz, the number 15 risk on the, on the minds of enterprise insurance buyers. In 2020, it was the number one risk. But the problem is, if as a broker, um, you, you, you won't, you know, if you can't sell it or you won't try selling it because you don't know how to have that conversation with your client, you're going to have a lost opportunity. And what we've found when we've rolled out this, uh, the, the broking manager application is number one, brokers are more willing to have a first time 
cyber insurance discussion with an enterprise. And number two, when it comes to renewal, what they're finding is they typically should be buying double, triple, quadruple the cyber insurance coverage that they're buying today. I think another example where, you know, as CyberCube, we see ourselves as being instrumental in supporting the profitable growth of this market by providing analytics across the value chain that benefit brokers, carriers, reinsurers, and ultimately the enterprises that are buying these cyber insurance products. You talk about a buyer in there. I mean, traditionally, the buyer would be the risk manager, but presumably you're also dealing with the, the CISO, you know, the Chief Information Security Officer, or somebody else in the organization. It's not purely a, a risk manager decision as it might be on more traditional insurance. One of the challenges is those risk managers have been asked, not necessarily by the CISO, but by the CFO, by the CEO, by the board. What are our cyber exposures? And what they want to know is not necessarily vulnerabilities or um, or kind of technical information, what they want to know is information on financial cyber risk in dollars and cents. And so providing that information in dollars and cents and scenarios and loss amounts, um, we're speaking the language that others in an organization speak. Uh, we're not speaking in IT terms. And that's really resonating with enterprises that both want to improve their cybersecurity program, but also understand that cybersecurity program in financial terms. Yeah, it comes back to your point about data earlier on, doesn't it? Where now there's a lot of data out there, but you need to help people get actual insights so they can actually do something. And of course, because you're servicing the financial services, turn it into, into dollars, as you say. And then, Pascal, regulation. I mean, regulation is often a big driver of business growth, you know, notwithstanding some big catastrophic events like you know the, the COVID event or a NAT, NAT cat, we've seen quite a lot of activity over in the UK with the PRA. There are kind of equivalent regimes looking at from a regulatory perspective and also a rating agency perspective. Yeah, you know, how they're getting on? Do they understand what the risk is? Are they asking the right questions of the companies? Yeah, I think this is an area where we've seen tremendous movement in the last 12 months, and I think we will see a lot more in the next one to two years. We recognize that regulators, and also to a certain extent rating agencies, are also really important stakeholders. And that's why uh, CyberCube has convened a quarterly regulator dialogue series. Unfortunately, it's had to move virtual with the pandemic where we bring together regulators from about a dozen different jurisdictions to share um, their kind of thinking on, on, on cyber regulation and uh, of the insurance industry. I think it's really telling that at the Advising Awards last year, the cyber disruptor of the year didn't go to a carrier. It didn't go to a broker or a tech-enabled MGA or a startup. The award actually went to the Bank of England and Lloyd's jointly for the regulatory work that they're doing. And, um, and I think that is a, a, a disruption and, frankly, a welcome disruption. If you dig in a little bit further and look at the Dear CEO letter sent out and the general insurance stress tests, um, you really see why the UK regulator sees this as so important and why regulators in other jurisdictions are looking to the leadership role that the UK is playing to inform their own cyber regulation. As the UK 
um, Bank as the Bank of England uh, set out um, uh, a request for information about aggregation potential, what they found in the submissions that came back is that cyber catastrophes could lead to more losses than UK windstorm, UK flood, the Japanese earthquake or tsunami, the kinds of losses that carriers submitted to the PRA were actually on par with uh, U.S. hurricanes and exceeded only by California earthquakes. And that's why we're seeing activity throughout Europe, the U.S., and even Asia uh, starting to look at the impact of cyber aggregation on the financial solvency of insurers and critically uh, find that a lot of that aggregation does not sit in an affirmative, well-underwritten cyber insurance policy, but actually sits in other lines of insurance where it's not adequately uh, priced for, where it's not always um, you know, sufficiently well understood, and where CyberCube clients are now starting to take our cyber catastrophe model and model cyber risk against 13 other lines of insurance uh, to understand how cyber catastrophes may or may not lead to losses, depending on how policies are worded in those other policies. So I think regulation is certainly one to watch. I think it's very welcome, and I think it's going to be a critical driver of cyber insurance living up to its long-term potential uh, by really kind of forcing the right kinds of dialogue, particularly around aggregation potential of cyber risk. And it's a, it's a really good endorsement for modeling as well. When you, you know, I know you, you and others are involved in helping the Bank of England and the PRA you know, and Lloyds understand what the risk is going to be. You know, when you see that convergence between the view of the modelers and the views of the regulators. I mean, it, it, it reminds me of what happened probably at least 20 years ago now in the NAT cat space. The same thing happened. I mean, the, the, and it was just really helpful for, for the companies running the models to know that they can take the output from the model and use that as part of their submissions to the rating agencies and the regulators. Um, I'm not sure whether the Bank of England would, would be celebrating the fact it was a disruptor. Um, and it, it sounds like it could almost be a message from the Americans back to the Brits to not being so difficult, but you know, it, it's definitely a, a, good, a good sign, as you, as you say. And uh, Pascal, I just want to turn a bit to, again, some of your funding, and, and you touched on this again earlier. So you uh, have now raised $40 million. Uh, one of your investors last year was Hudson Capital, um, which Mike Millette runs, who's been well-known in the insurance link security space, are you seeing something happening there? You know, something you can talk about or something you can allude to where we're going to start seeing third party capital coming in to provide some cap bonds for cyber or some other ways of using maybe some parametric indices outside of what, you know, the more traditional insurance structures? Yeah, so we were we were really happy in uh, the start of the year to close an additional forty million dollar uh, capital raise. Um, our goal is really to create one of the world's most valuable and important companies in the PNC insurance industry. So it really made sense for us to bring on investors such as Hudson Structured Capital Management, MTech, and Stonepoint Capital to really uh, sit on our cap table um, and to kind of help us grow into that potential. Um, in terms of ILS, um, I just think there's there's tremendous um, opportunity here. I mean, given we look at that trillion dollars plus of losses per year and growing, um, the, the numbers are so big that 
capital market participants, I think, will need to get uh, involved. And in some cases, you know, the numbers are, are, are too big even for, for capital markets, and there may need to be public-private partnerships, which is something uh, that was quite striking that C-suite executives started talking about uh, with some frequency in, in 2020. Uh, saying that, um, this is not going to be an overnight switch. There are some products that have been announced on the cyber ILS side, and I think there's some really good initial traction there. Uh, saying that, I think we need to temper the enormous size of the opportunity with the fact that it's very difficult for, um, for ILS investors to invest in a all-peril, all-region um, uh, you know, in the same way that it would be difficult for them to invest in an all-peril, all-region net cat ILS instrument, uh, it's also really important for capital markets to get really specific uh, to start off with, at least, with very targeted offerings. I think targeted offerings that are really focused on business interruption and contingent business interruption for specific single points of failure because I think that's when you can start getting into some of those parametric triggers. That's when you can start to really define a contract in, in very precise terms. And it's also a way to start chipping away at this enormous opportunity in an area where this could well exceed the size over time of the entire NatCat uh, ILS space. Um, I think there's certainly um, some really uh, exciting early innovations happening there. And I think what we'll see in the next 12 to 24 months is um, some more kind of precision targeted instruments that are both launched, developed, and considered uh, to start chipping away at that enormous opportunity. I guess these days we could call it conventional ILS market. It's about $100 billion today. So yeah, if you exceed $100 billion on cyber, then uh, it really would be making a difference. And I mean, what is different about it as well is that it's tackling or it's providing a solution to a problem that you probably can't do in some areas through conventional insurance. So it brings new capital and you know, new structures and solves some of the problems. So yeah, definitely worth watching that space. Uh, well, Pascal, as we just sort of bring us to a close, it'd be great to hear what you're planning or seeing for 2021. We had Rebecca Bowl on our crowdsourced predictions event and we, so we got some fantastic insights from her uh, and anybody who wants to listen to that it's on podcast episode 118. Um, but yeah, really interested to hear what we can expect to see from CyberCube in the next 12 months. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely uh, put a plug for that uh, that podcast. That was, a, that was really a, a, a great one. So uh, well done for all of those brave enough to make predictions. Um, I think building on what Rebecca said, three things that I would look out for in the coming year in the cyber insurance market is number one, I think more thoughtful pricing and underwriting. Um, attritional losses are really starting to ratchet up, driven primarily by the kind of uh, never, seemingly never-ending rise of ransomware. I think that's forcing carriers to be a far more thoughtful about who they underwrite and how they underwrite them and how they price them. Uh, secondly, and we, we touched on this, I think there'll be a renewed focus on catastrophic cyber losses driven by regulators, driven by rating agencies, driven by board risk committees. Um, and predominantly, a lot of that focus will actually be on cleaning up language that exists outside of the affirmative standalone cyber insurance line. And I think the third thing that we see is innovation. 
uh, innovation in terms of new non-damaged business interruption products, new distribution, new bundling, enterprises even starting to take risk transfer into their own hands as they think about the billions of dollars of liability that they might have uh, in the event of a cyber attack, um, and the need for them to get creative with capital markets and carriers to create bigger towers of risk transfer. I think we're still in the very early days of flourishing innovation driven by cyber risk in the PNC insurance market. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that innovation in 2021. Yeah, I think it's all very positive tailwinds to help support anybody that's looking at doing anything on innovation. Uh, that's actually really helpful, Pascal. So is there anything we haven't covered that we should talk about now as well? We've transitioned as a company to engaging uh, you know, digitally and, and, and in a remote fashion. But I, I certainly uh, have my fingers crossed for the light at the end of the tunnel to be able to be engaging with this really innovative and dynamic section of the PNC insurance market in person in 2021. It's an exciting year. I, I found out I've got 22 million people in front of me and I'm due to get vaccinated in April. So it'll be some time yet. But you know, we've, got a, we've got a queue of people lining up to do events with us. It's not going to be the 250 people crammed into a room. But Robin Mertens has been busy checking out and researching the restaurants for, for, for breakfast and dinner. So Pascal, you know, we'll be thrilled to you know, invite you along to one of our dinners when you come back. You've been a great supporter of Instead London as of your colleagues. And, and uh, you know, even things like this, you know, not, it's not just about what you're doing at CyberCube. It's a great uh, sort of primer and education as to what's happening in cyber generally. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share that with us. My pleasure will save me a space at the table and certainly being on planes will give me another opportunity to catch up on any of the podcasts that I've missed. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, thanks. And I'll let you you get on with the rest of the day. It's the end of the day in the UK and start the day in California. So yeah, let you get back and make some more money. Thanks, Matthew. Well, if you're interested in learning more about cyber, there are some great resources on the CyberCube website about the topic in general, link in the episode notes. And if you're enjoying our podcast and benefit from all this free content, well, perhaps you could do me a favor. If you could rate us and leave some feedback wherever you're listening. If, for example, you're on the Apple Podcast app on the iPhone, then if you scroll all the way down to the end of the episodes, you can give us a score out of five. And if you want, add in a few words. It's really going to help get the word out. Everything we're up to in Instec London, of course, is on the website www.instec.london and back again next week. <laughs>